Hey everyone, before we get started this week, just a quick request for you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. The more ratings and reviews that we get, the better reach we have, and the more listeners we can attract, and the more episodes we can create. So it's a beautiful cycle. The book we're covering this episode was a listener request, and if you leave a review and you mention a request in it, maybe you'll get priority. (laughs) Who knows? Who knows how these things work? You'll also get your very own Badass Lady Meter rating. This week, we are giving a shout out to Turkala. Thank you so much for leaving us a review, Turkala. Your Badass Lady Meter rating is that we will be covering the book that you requested in your review very soon. Not a rating, but I can't come up with anything clever right now, so we will just give you instant gratification. Well, not so instant. Check back in August. Thanks, everybody. Now the episode. I'm Grace. I'm Madeline. And we are Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies! We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they're maybe even better for adults. Indeed. This week, The Dark Angel by Meredith Ann Pierce. That's Madeline's Dark Angel impression. Wow, what a book. I'll just oh say that my the gosh, start. This, this book is so much fun. Before we go any further, this was a request by faithful listener Siobhan. Thank you so much, Siobhan, for requesting the book. If any of you have a request of a book you'd like us to cover that was important to you when young or today, shoot us an email at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. We really love listener requests. We have a big backlog of listener requests that we're working through, and it makes it really enjoyable because then it's an even more shared experience, and all we have to do is take our fishing poles with a little magnet on the end, and then we put it in the pool of listener requests, and they're all magnetized, and then we pull up one of them. <laughs> Did you ever have, don't you remember that toy? Yeah, of course. I don't, know. I don't know how universal it was. Um, I want one. I'm an adult. I'm going to go on Amazon and buy one. Okay, metaphor finished. This book was published in 1982. It is book one of the Dark Angel trilogy and was followed by A Gathering of Gargoyles and The Pearl of the Soul of the World, which is an amazing oh, book wow. title. That's the title. Absolutely gorgeous. Wow. Before we go any further, let's do a quick marketing breakdown and discuss how the publisher chose to package and promote this book. Um, Have to say the cover of the book that, that was the version that I read when young um, is one of the most glorious fantasy covers I've seen in a while. I want the entire thing as a full back tattoo. (laughs) Full color back. Yeah. Um, And we will put this up on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com so that you can all just revel in it with your own eyeballs. Mm-hmm. What does it look like, Madeline? Oh, gosh. What doesn't it look Where like? Where to begin? <laughs> okay, so we've got the vampire um, just up at the top. He's looking like a uh, cherubim from uh, a Madeline Langle book because he's got like 12 wings. Mm-hmm. He's got some very fine silvery hair. Um no pupils, maybe just like white some eyes. white eyes. Uh, he's got the the um, sash, the the one-breasted sash going on. Uh, so you could see one of his pecs. 
And he's and nips. Yep, there's there's a little nip action there. And he's got a bat that interestingly he's kind of like cradling it. I know. I think the cover makes it seem like he has an affection for the bats Which when he's very, actually about yeah. to dismember and yeah, ruin do terrible bat. things to it. Um he he looks so uh uh, godly, and he's even got his little Jesus sandals. Um, and his necklace with the 14 vials. And his necklace with the vials, yeah. His wings are so, they're crow-like, which is cool, like crows. Um, and then at the bottom, we have got uh, Ariel. She's swooning and um, captivated by his beauty, but also terrified. Uh, she's in, like, a smock. <laughs> Like a black shroud smock. Um, I, I think it's supposed to be portraying her when he first captures her. Aodulin. Yeah. Well, but he's got a bat, not Aodulin. Aodulin. Yeah. Pronunciation disclaimer. We're going to be bad as always. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be, be really, bad. really bad. Um, but she's, anyway, she's in swoon. Uh, there's a little tiny hyena, um, much smaller than I pictured them as. <laughs> <laughs> looks a lot less scary when he's like, And it's spectral. It's one of the ghosts. Oh, yeah, you're right. It is spectral. Um, and then there's the lion leaping in from off-frame, or the Leo soul uh, going, uh, it looks really cool. And then there's the wraiths in the background. Very scary. Very scary, those uh, wraith ladies. Um, I just love the mishmash of so many different important characters and mm-hmm. plot points from the book yeah. all into one unknowable moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's got it in that way. It's very like '80s movie poster, mm-hmm. um, in like but a, it also, a really fun way. It also looks like a very old religious painting. Yeah, to me. totally. Um, to- especially the way the vampire is like, you know, so he's, he's very angelic looking, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Floating above and also shrouded in light. Yeah, actually, kind yeah. of glowing from within even because there's that like little bit of good that she knows is in exactly even though there are stormy teal skies all around him it's the colors are incredible no i'm i'm so thrilled that this was made for this book and we'll get into this more (laughs) in a moment with old new impressions but i read these books from the library and it was because of this cover that i was like oh my god i mean how could you not how could you say no (laughs) absolutely stunning yeah no absolutely uh so yeah 10 out of 10 i like this cover it's weird it's majestic it's just awesome and fun and um very it feels very classic and there's a lot of gravitas in it as well and yeah it's classic but also contemporary feeling. yeah even though it does have a strong 80s vibe no it's, it's I both it. i really really like it and then at the top it says easily the year's best fantasy the new york times <laughs> i did find that 1982 new york times review it is titled vampire on the moon <laughs> <laughs> And it's amazing. I need to. I need to read an excerpt. the The opening paragraph reads: "This is a this is a review by Nancy Willard from April twenty fifth, nineteen eighty two. Anyone inheriting the fantastic device of human language can say the green sun," writes Tolkien in an essay on fairy tales. But to make a secondary world inside which the green sun will be credible will certainly demand a special skill, a kind of elvish craft. The Dark Angel, written with plenty of skill and elvish craft, is set on the moon. 
It's one of the best fantasies I've read in a long time. Great opening. Just really great. Just really great. Um, So anything else about the cover you'd like to mention before we move on? Um, How are we saying vampire? Are we just saying vampire? The renunciation guide for the series says vampire. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Bummer. I would just really like saying vampire. You can say vampire if you want. I might. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, so, for those who have not read the book before or who haven't revisited it in a while, we will do a quick, quick plot summary. <laughs> Quote unquote. Dark Angel is a story about a slave girl named Ariel. She lives on. Okay, this is the beginning of my confusion. <laughs> I'm on the second sentence and I already don't know what to say. <laughs> so the the series is set in a far future in our own world, but it's set on the moon and the moon oh. has been terraformed by humans. And then is, they kind of like just pieced out and were like, we're like, they ran out of resources. Right. And, you know, energy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Everything has become a bit of a mess. Mm -hmm. Um, so Oceanus is the name of the moon itself. Right. And then there's the sun. I'm not going to be able to help you with this. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I just, yes. No, I'm sorry. Oceanus is the abandoned Earth, and they're on the moon. So that's oh. why Oceanus causes eclipses for okay. them, because okay. it comes between yeah. the moon and the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, so living on the moon, a slave, she is the companion to a wealthy girl of status named Aoduin. The two of them are gathering supplies for a wedding up on a mountaintop. And while they're there, the an, an Icarus, the dark angel, a vampire, vampire, a, a vampire, abducts Eoduin, and Ariel is going to be sold off to slave traders or um, killed or some other bad stuff is going to happen to her. So she basically decides, you know what? I, I also love Eoduin. I'm going to go try to save her and get her back from the yeah, dark angel. Yeah, because no one else is doing it. Yeah, everyone else, there's much like wringing of hands and weeping, but also like, curse this, too bad we can do nothing. Yeah. Um, the world isn't in the greatest shape, and they no, are... this is a very end-stage world. Yeah, and one in which the dark and evil forces have almost completely won. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is very scattered and fragmented and there are basically just like different tribes of humans Mm -hmm. that have their own odd societies. Yeah. Um, That's what they say at one point that after the master plan was kind of abandoned by the original colonizers of the moon, like the people fell into tribalism and just whatever they could do to survive. mm -hmm. And a lot of the history has been forgotten or like turned into mythology or a mix of the two. And there, even though there is an interesting closeness and real presence of supernatural forces, um, mm-hmm. like they're not far off and they do 
interfere with people's lives mm-hmm. in a real way, but yeah. they're also being mythologized at the same Very time. Very interesting. Yeah. It kind of has a Greek mythology feel yeah. to it no, where definitely. the gods are interfering with the mortals and mm-hmm. vice versa. Um, so Ariel sets off to try to get the dark angel to capture her. She succeeds. <laughs> um, there are one more thing to mention. There are very, very long days because they are on a moon. And they mm-hmm. so the way that they move around the sun is complicated. I'm not an astronomer, as you can tell. <laughs> it's gonna, like a... I meant to check because we do... It's an ellipsis. Ellipse? Elliptical? Elliptical. Elliptical. Yeah. An ellipsis. <laughs> <laughs> Three dots. <laughs> um, I meant to check the number of hours that their days last because we do get an idea of that while she's waiting for the dark angel, but I didn't. And here we are. Um, so the dark angel captures her and takes her to his castle, which is an abandoned castle, um, of a king and queen that he took over when he drove everyone out and decided he wanted it to be his own. I just have to say that when you put in how long are days and nights in Google, intending to finish on the moon the first result is how long are days and nights in minecraft (laughs) so there's that we've got more important things on our minds apparently um at the castle everything is very creepy and cold and unpleasant Ariel learns more about the vampires' wives. He has 13 wives, and these are all beautiful young women whom he has abducted one per year over the last 13 years. And Ariel can't recognize which one of them Eoduin is because they are all completely gaunt and haunted and destroyed because they've lost their souls they and their of, blood. Yeah, they kind of look like re-deads from Ocarina of Time, which is a bad look. (laughs) Yeah, they're not living their best lives, and they have these heavy, heavy garments that they have to wear because their previous um, thread, thread, what does he call her job? Like the thread wench or something. The woman who was to spin sheaths and kirtles for them was very sad, and she spun sheaths out of... Like pity, pity and, and lo- loneliness and despair. Yeah. So Ariel decides that she's going to do a better job and take care of these raids. Mm-hmm. There are also some starved gargoyles who are the vampires' watchdogs. And there is also a wonderful man named Talb. Talb just kind of does the Talb thing, too. <laughs> He's like chilling around. He's very off the grid. He is a... Do a rough um, is the pronunciation we're going to try to go with. Um, he is a I dwarf. It's duaro. Dwarf. Oh, it's got an off in it. Okay. Enough. I'm just going to call him Talb. Um, yes. So Talb lives in caves that are at the back of the garden behind the castle. The garden is totally barren, nothing grows there. And Ariel's main concern when she first arrives is okay, but I need some food to eat. Yeah, just to eat. Um, so she goes in and explores and meets Talb, and he shows her the wonderful bounty that is hidden away within the caves and starts to just kind of give her a little more information about what's maybe going on. Mm-hmm. So Ariel lives there for a time, taking care of the wraiths. She learns how to spin and spin from herself, for she has no material to turn into thread. 
And so she, very, very classic fantasy type trope. Very classic. Yeah, there's a lot of specific fairy tales that I see present in the story, which we can talk about. Um, and she learns to spin charity and then love for the wraiths. So she gives them fine kirtles to wear that aren't too heavy for their horrible shrunken bodies. And she feeds the gargoyles and gets them to trust her and become happy and not so starved. Such a hungry book. It's really stressful. Yeah, I ate um, a lot while I read it. And at the same time, she notices that the Dark Angel is tormenting small creatures that happen across the castle, and she decides to try to get him to stop, so she starts telling him stories as a means of entertainment instead. Mm-hmm. At first, it's all going great. It's This is where we get into like a Shahrazad-type situation yeah. um, where she's telling the stories to keep him from killing her or becoming disenchanted in some way. And yeah, then, I mean, she's saving bats by telling him stories, which I really love. Yeah, she's a sweetie. Then she tells a story that disturbs him, and it is a story that a horrifying woman that she used to work with told her um, about something that happened to her when she was young, and she was traveling with a queen and charged with the as her servant was charged with the care of the queen's son. I just I like the way you said woman she used to work with. Like, yeah, she was a she was an ex-coworker. She was weird. I mean, they were ex yeah. they are ex-coworkers. Yeah. This just in from our research department, Madeline, care to share what you just learned? We experienced day <laughs> It takes How long a day is in Minecraft? <laughs> <laughs> the the, the, however, the difference is that it takes 28.5 days for the moon to spin about its axis. So one moon day is 28.5 Earth days long. Perfect. Which is why they call them day months. Mm-hmm. Makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, it does add to the general dreamlike quality of the narrative that the concept of time passing is very confusing because mm-hmm. the vampire can say something like, I will strangle you tomorrow. And it still means she has a month to figure out what mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. Um, A day in Minecraft is 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) So all of you go out there and do with that information what you will, whether you're on the moon or in Minecraft. Or both. So she learns a story from Derna, the woman she used to work with. It is about Derna taking care of the queen's son when she was younger. And they she did a bad job. Didn't do great. Um, yeah, Derna's not cool. I guess she did save all of them, though, by sacrificing the son. Yeah, but she was most, I mean, she was most interested in saving herself. Uh, It is complicated. I would have, you know, probably shared the information with others before deciding to just drown a boy, um, which is what she does. There is a um, lawful evil toad in the mix. Yeah. Mud, mud (laughs) skip or whatever that thing is. Yeah, I saw it as like a big old nasty toad. I was seeing it as like a flounder type fish, like a large flat fish with eyes on top. Different. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A creature in a lake. They're trapped. Oh, my God. It's (laughs) so lively. They're they're trapped. The queen and her caravan get stuck in a series of caverns um, after they've been chased there by (laughs) after being chased there by a windstorm. 
And Derna decides to drink from the lake, even though the lake has sickened and killed camels who have drunk from it because she's losing her mind with thirst. And a little creature pops up and says, hey, if you give my mistress, the Lorelei of the lake, a little boy, then we'll let you guys go. Let's see what we can do. And Derna's like, hell yeah. <laughs> I have a boy and I'd love to drown him. <laughs> and she does. Back in the present, when Ariel tells this story to the Dark Angel, he becomes very agitated. Freaks out. And we have learned along the way that his mom is a water witch. And it seems like, huh, maybe he's that little boy that got drowned in the lake. Yeah. Um, did it? Did that feel obvious to you when reading Incredibly. It? Yeah. Uh, it, it's just funny that at the it's not until the end of the book, the very end of the book, that Ariel's like, oh, huh. But yeah, she has other things on it's, her mind. Yeah, I mean, it's a dramatic irony thing. She has other things on her mind. Yeah. Anyway, after this point, the Dark Angel no longer holds Ariel in his favor. He has waking nightmares brought on by this tale, and he tries to kill her. And Talb hides her in the caverns until he can prepare a heron boat to take her out of the caves and away without the gargoyles spotting her and off on a quest to set off a chain of fabled events mm-hmm. that will bring about he the gives her fall of the dark angel. A riddle. She and gets also a riddle. A magic food bag. She gets a riddle. She gets a magic food bag that we will be talking will about discuss. during pretend food. Full of butter pies. <laughs> she knows that she needs to find the star horse who she will be able to defeat the dark angel with. And there's also something about a blade of adamantine. So she sets off. She goes on a journey. I'm not going to break it down. She meets the Pendarlan, Pendarlan, which is the lion who guards the desert lands. And he helps her find the star horse. When she does find the star horse, she discovers that the star horse died 12 years ago after the dark angel drove it out of its lands. But she's able to speak with his phantom during an eclipse it's a very beautiful it's pretty cool beautiful pretty scene cool. yeah and yeah this book is very prosaic oh god it was like it's very beautifully written yeah um and she takes the star horse's hoof for the hoof is what is mentioned by name in the riddle and the pen darlon helps her realize that with the hoof she'll be able to do what she needs to do she puts it in like a little magic pouch puts it in the pouch with the food i was worried when she did that i was like well how you know you're gonna find it again there's a lot of stuff in that pouch. well the pouch like the pouch knows the pouch knows along the way she becomes stronger she grows she spends, I think, in total five months in the desert. All of her gets bleached white by the desert. Yes. But also by the magic food bag. <laughs> yeah, I'm not that goes totally down. sure about that. Um, she spends quite a bit of time with a group of nomadic people that live mm-hmm. in the desert. And they teach her how to use a walking stick for as a spear, fighting. Um, or like a. I saw it as like a deadly boomerang, where you could throw mm. it so that it would go out and then fall down okay. directly onto an unsuspecting victim. I wish someone would give me a crash course in using staves in combat. And she gets more confident, more grown up, and she finds that she's freer of the dark angel's thrall that she was previously held under. Mm-hmm. 
On the way back, she and the Pandarlan are attacked by a group of jackals that were sent by the Lorelei. Hyenas? Jackals. Jackals. (laughs) (laughs) When I say jackals, I mean jackals. Looks like a hyena. And the Pendarlon suffers grave wounds and has to stay by himself and heal, but they defeat them. And Ariel starts to realize that something bigger is up because why is the witch thinking about her and trying to get the hoof from her and what's going down? So she continues back. She finds her way and the dark angel declares that he couldn't find anyone hot enough to be his final wife for he needs one more. And then he can take his 14 vials containing all their souls to his mother and then just destroy the world. (laughs) Um, And so instead, he's going to take Ariel to be his final wife. With the help of the dwarf, she brews and then feeds to the dark angel a hoof full of liquid life. And the dark angel goes into a sort of trance, unconscious state. Mm -hmm. The wraiths are present as well and help to frighten him. Yeah, they they flash mob him so that Ariel (laughs) can do the thing. So that Ariel isn't murdered by him before he passes out. And once he is unconscious, Ariel frees each of the wraith's souls from the leaden vials around the Dark Angel's neck. And each of them tell her their old identity and they are able to leave their earthly form and transcend this mortal realm. Yeah, they become a constellation again. They like become stars. Greek mythology, yeah. And Eoduin is finally revealed to her because all along she didn't know which no, one she was. Yeah. Um, and so that part of her task is completed. Mm-hmm. And the dwarf shows up and is like, okay, you need to kill the dark angel now. And Ariel finds she cannot for she loves him in some confusing way. She so, loves the good in him. She loves the good in him. So instead, she gives him her heart because he can't, and her blood, because he can't live and return to his actual self without getting back the blood and the heart that was taken from him. And then the dwarf does a little swapsies. <laughs> the and like, wow, when you're in love, you do some crazy <laughs> stuff. Not how I would have she done it. and have to cut out her own heart. She could have just melted the lead off of his heart, yeah. but... I'll do it. It's fine. So Ariel and the Dark Angel have one another's hearts. But at this point, the Dark Angel isn't the Dark Angel anymore. Now he's a guy. Now he is a dude. And his name is Irolath. And he was, of course, the boy from the story. So he's the prince. And he claimed his actual home as his vampire home. Yeah. And he was living in his room, in the little boy's room. And there's all these sad touches, like the fact that the toys are still out and stuff. Um, because it's it's been him all along. So we get a very stirring conclusion where he and Ariel vow to go and kill the Lorelei and Mm -hmm. Talb goes ahead and tricks her and makes her drink some life just for like the heck of it. Right. Yeah. Like he (laughs) says, like, it's not going to hurt her very much, but like it'll take her off. So I would like to do that. That's what he said. I'll have a better taste in her mouth. Um, So he goes off to do that. And the two of them build a sail from the Dark Angel's fallen wings and prepare for the next step. Yeah. And that's the end. Great summary. Long summary. But it I'm was really great. sorry. <laughs> no, it's a really good summary. There's a lot to um, 
because it was There's very, a lot of different pieces in this tale. I I felt like that was a great summary though. Thank Just you. Want to say that? I yeah. appreciate that. So, shall we discuss our old and new impressions? Yes. I never read this book. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, check our recent episodes for Madeline saying that phrase at <laughs> Wait, other times. We need a super cut. <laughs> I've never read this book. I have read this book, and it is one that was forgotten to me until our wonderful listener, Siobhan, requested it. Much like Irliath's memories. Exactly. And identity. Irliath. <laughs> I can't pronounce it. What's his name? Irliath. Um, Ilya. Uh, we have the pronunciation guide up, but it's not doing us much good. Irliath. R is rolled. Pronounced by pursing lips to say ooh, but say e instead. Last syllable rhymes with swath. <laughs> so it's that is so many instructions. <laughs> Meredith Ampiris, what are you doing? Okay, our buddy. Um, I had, yeah, I love that feeling. And it's one really fun thing about doing this podcast is rediscovering books that I did have an experience with, but that were just lying totally dormant in my memory. And in the case of books that I only took out from the library, but that we never owned, Mm. that happened a lot because I never read them again. And also I didn't have the memory of like still having the physical form Mm -hmm. of it around me all these years to kind of keep it in my mind. Um, but yeah, this is one, as I mentioned earlier, that I that I took out from the library. And I don't know that I read the whole trilogy. I think I just read the first two. Hmm. Um, so I'm definitely going to check out the other ones uh, because I'm fascinated. But the books are really hard to find now. Yeah. I think this is another reason why it's passed out of mind for me. Um, the uh, Seattle Public Library doesn't even have these books um in any form like they didn't even come up um when I was searching and I guess that of Meredith Ann Pierce's work um so this was her first book Mm. that she published and she has another series that is more popular um called the Firebringer trilogy Mm. involving a tribe of unicorns on a different fantasy world um yeah which I also I, I haven't read that, but it's just kind of strange when we, yeah, when we cover something that's fairly recent, um, I guess not that popular, but it did, the Dark Angel um, was nominated for the Mythopoic Fantasy Award for Adult Literature. That's in a great name. It is, um, alongside The Blue Sword by Robin McKinley, which we will be covering in the oh, near cool. future. Um, so it received some acclaim Um, and I am just kind of a little confused why it isn't more widely available today. Um, oh, I, mm -hmm. Treasure at the Heart of the Tanglewood. Have you read that? We should do that book. I do remember it. It's a really fun book. Oh, and that's later from 2001. Yeah. I loved this book. Okay, sorry. Anyways. Oh, I recognize the cover. Yeah, because it's an awesome cover, right? You had this. Yeah. 
Oh, hey, we're having that same moment I was just discussing. Yes, in, in we are. <laughs> we are. Fascinating. We should definitely do that book. Cool. Yeah. More, more Meredith Ann Pierce to come, you guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, so because I've forgotten my youth, my youthful experience with this series, um, I can't comment too much on old impressions. I do think that this book is one that's really fun to read as an adult because you can pick out all the different fairy tales and folk tales that influence mm-hmm. it in yeah. different ways and also appreciate the really compelling blend of fantasy and sci-fi. Um, I texted Madeline when we were starting to read the book that this felt to me like a perfect blend of Dragon Song by Anne McCaffrey and Dragon's Blood by Jane Yolen, and yet confusingly there are no dragons in it. Um, and I do still stand by that because they have similar settings of these kind of messed up futures where humans have had to retreat to other you know, planetary bodies in their solar system because they ruined their earth in some way Mm -hmm. and society is broken down and they're like weird, different isolated tribes and slavery um, and systems that just aren't working the way that they should Mm -hmm. on a sociological level. It's such a unique experience being able to dig into this it almost feels like you're able to actually look at your subconscious a little bit because it's like this part of your brain that you haven't used Mm. in a while the part that has remembered that book like it's there yeah you know Mm -hmm. um and it feels like such a fun itch to scratch and maybe that's just what the heart of the fun behind nostalgia is like you're just reveling and being able to regain that secret part of yourself well and to like examine it to to find out that you can bring the magic back into your life now as well. Mm-hmm. That's for me what it's all about is not just remembering it, but also being like, okay, I can now integrate this into my world as I am currently. Totally. And that's um, what I was getting out with saying that now reading this, I can pick out the specific tales um, that go into it and beyond what I was talking about with the kind of sci-fi vibes and uh, the books I mentioned, we have episodes on both of those. So check out our Dragon Song and Dragon's Blood episodes if you're interested. Um, the specific fairy tales that I felt were represented here were Bluebeard, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the story of the nobleman who kills his wives mm-hmm. and the newest wife discovers the like dead body room. Um, and there it's, the numbers are very similar. I think they're at like 12 wives mm-hmm. at that point. Um, I also thought about the 12 dancing princesses, Oh yeah, um, which is a story about young women who are locked in their room by their father every night and yet have a mysterious way that they go and dance in a, fantasy wood mm-hmm. um and I, I i understand how that's like a bit more of a stretch but the the women like being physically imprisoned but like their you know souls kind of being elsewhere made mm-hmm. me think about that yeah. um, and also just like the control by the man who is trying to yeah, yeah. make them behave a certain mm-hmm. way and at the same time is like robbing them of their <laughs> youth <laughs> or attempting to yeah. at least a little, little bit 
actually many different shades of Rumpelstiltskin. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love the concept of spinning her good and bad feelings mm-hmm. into <laughs> light or heavy shrouds yeah. for the wraiths. And also just the concept that the wraiths need like cute clothes. I know. <laughs> I love it. I love it so it's much. Like they have nothing, but they do get fashion. Yeah. <laughs> and the the old clothes that they were wearing were like rough and made badly made exactly. and they need better ones. And they're like, oh yeah. my curdle, no. Yeah. Um, and like we mentioned, uh, Scheherazade slash yeah. 1001 Nights. Mm-hmm. Um, we yeah, also have an episode sure. on the storyteller's daughter, which is a YA version of her story. So check that out. And then the biggest one is probably Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Um, no, for sure. And the, uh, I, 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 I think <laughs> probably the biggest change from reading this when young to old is that as a young person who hadn't yet but soon would discover manga through <laughs> your love of it, would I would uh, be shown in. Oh, he's totally a manga character. Very compelled. I was yeah. very compelled by the Dark Angel. Yeah. Um, there's just such repetition of how beautiful he is. Reading it now, I can see that it's an interesting examination of beauty being ugly horrible Mm -hmm. and being attractive in a seductive unhealthy toxic Mm -hmm. way um but he also is just like ah (laughs) every time she looks at his face she can't help but do anything black roses like blooming behind him yeah the cover really taps into that too and she she does fix him Uh uh-huh yeah she does. Which is a dangerous trope, especially that I was like indoctrinated by, like Grace was saying, by manga and anime of like the, you know, beautiful, uh, damaged bad boy who like you fix. <laughs> what was the name of the series? Um, Which one? That was about the group of young men who all lived together. <laughs> And was they, that one called The Wallflower? Yes. Yeah. The Wallflower. Um, oh, and the girl name? who goes to live with them. Yeah, she's like spooky, like really spooky. Yeah. <laughs> that series was amazing. That series was amazing because yeah. like she was also beautiful and like spooky. And, but like, remember she was always drawn in chibi form. Yeah. Because she was so stressed all the time. Yeah. And then we'd get her normal drawing next mm-hmm. to the beautiful boys. Right. And she was just absolutely gorgeous. Right. <laughs> and I really <laughs> liked in that though that she um, she also like didn't want anything to do with them. Like she hated them including <laughs> the one that she was romantically interested in. <laughs> Like, it was not her pining after him. Yeah. So reading this now, I can see how um, similar a lot of those Mm -hmm. plot lines are and just the romance in general. Yeah. Um, And while this book is really incredible and, like, I loved reading it, the romance is problematic. It's troublesome. (laughs) For all the reasons we just said. But we'll get more more into that in our discussion which i guess now we're technically beginning (laughs) yeah i mean i feel like that's what we 
need to say about it. And we've yeah, it. because we we talk about um, romantic realism mm-hmm. in the YA stories that we cover because I do think it's really, really important that young readers who are experience a lot of them experiencing romance for the first time mm-hmm. through these books that they're reading. They need healthy portrayals. Yeah, of it. get some good examples um, of what might make sense because... Of course, you can say, like, this is a fairy tale. There's, like, a talking lion and a dark angel with 12 wings. Um, But at the same time, it's those feelings that, like, young people have while they're reading. They really get, speaking from a personal place, like, that. there's an indoctrination. Like, there's stuff that you take to heart. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's something specific that you're looking for Mm -hmm. um, that is not necessarily healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there, this book is just the beginning of a trilogy and the relationship between Ariel and Irvalat, um, does develop and become something that is more natural and earned. Um, but it is really, it's hard. It sticks with me that, um, she falls in love with him just because he is beautiful and has a shred of goodness in him. And I mean, she is also like. Uh, inspelled by him like she's under his like sway or whatever but at the end of the book she's no longer under his spell no sure when she but and there is the component of her just not wanting to kill anyone right yeah much less him no I definitely she does love him and that's why she saves him I think it's confusing but in this fairy tale like he is actually a prince who's been cursed (laughs) <laughs> like it wasn't his fault um, I know, that I he know. was this evil creature. But and, again, and she mentions that too, that at the end that, yeah, you mm-hmm. know, he's held these women prisoner, but his mother has held him prisoner right. and taken his was, life was from him in the same way. Was, yeah. So it's like cycle of abuse continuing. Right. Yeah. I did. There was something I actually, um, got a little teary when the wraiths are given their souls back Mm -hmm. and able to ascend. It felt like they were shedding their trauma. Mm. Um, Okay. And I, yeah, you're right. It is very reminiscent of Greek mythology and like women who go through horrific things and, but then they get to yeah be in a constellation or like, you're going to get turned into a tree. So you don't get raped by Apollo. Um, uh, yeah, dude, the, uh, yeah, maybe the end is like honoring you in some way, but it's like, oh, well, you still had to go through that. And Ao Duane barely got to live her life. Um, yeah. Yeah. She just, she got, got fied plucked and killed. And that was, that was all that. Yeah. It's very sad. It is a very dark book mm-hmm, um for sure unsurprisingly but i think the darkness is offset in a way that is appropriate for a younger audience because you get the familiarity of these kind of storylines i got a very hans christian anderson vibe from like yeah. the darkness of in the fairy tale stuff really interesting that there's like all of these classic fairy tale tropes woven in with this um sci-fi-ness that's mm-hmm. very reminiscent of Dragon song. Dragon song. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Anne McCaffrey. Mm-hmm. It was very Anne McCaffrey. Yeah, I do. Meredith Ann Pierce's writing style is um, 
It's beautiful. Really incredible. Yeah, it was really fun doing this right after The Hobbit because I felt yeah. like the there were very similar things about the writing style and just the feeling of this very old world that is embedded into this particular story. Yeah, I was really entranced by it, honestly. I felt mm-hmm. the, I felt like the book was kind of drugging me. Um, I was really, yeah, ensorcelled just <laughs> the same way that Ariel is. And I actually learned when researching that the story was inspired by a dream from Carl Jung's book, Memories, hmm. Dreams, and Reflections. Mm. Um, Interesting. And that it all kind of came to Meredith Ann Pierce mm-hmm. um, in a rush. And I think that's why it has that sort of vision, dreamlike quality to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, but done in a really excellent way not it doesn't feel like pieces that are just suddenly no no it against feels each other, very like, sewn like together dream. yeah um and I was so just overjoyed by so many little moments like the sailboat that Talb makes for Ariel turning into a heron and then flying away after she completes her journey on it and the, the magic food bag, the magic food bag being so plentiful and exciting. And even the moments of humor, um, like with, I, I feel like there are some humorous moments with the wraiths even. Yeah. Um, and just the kind of excitement of companionship that Ariel gets throughout the book. Um, there's such a heavy loneliness over every character and time and time again, someone says like, well, well it's been great having someone to talk to. Yeah. yeah. And I think that is because the society is so fractured and everyone is so split up and scattered across the, the moon, mm-hmm. the moon globe. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I really loved the writing style, and I read it very quickly. Um, yeah, it well, was a very fast read. I really enjoyed the caves in this book more than I typically do a fantasy cave the as well. They feel, because they're full of life, they're because they're connected respite. to the earth, yeah. which is what... Or the um, moon. Yeah, but the the land that they're living on. Yeah, but it's moon, not earth. <laughs> they call it earth. Dwarf calls it earth. Well, that's dumb. No, earth meaning soil. Yeah, but the only reason earth means soil on our place is because we're on the earth. That's not relevant to this discussion. We're talking about a different land. Okay. Book fights. <laughs> <laughs> Book fights. Maybe um, they brought earth over when yeah, they, they terraformed, they terraformed it. Yeah, so... Okay, <laughs> acceptable, acceptable. Um, yeah, I, I, I love the, I, another, it's another moment of joy that even though she's in this horrible, cold and life-sucking castle, she can like go to the caves and hang out with Talb and he's got yeah. like his books down there. Talb is just jamming down there. Like, I mean, I know at the end you find out he was actually the prince's companion and yeah, he was like so watching he's over trying him. to keep watch yeah. over the dark angel. but it is funny how most of the book gets just like yeah you know this guy's living his best life <laughs> we also <laughs> never learn how the dark angel thinks of him i thought that at the end the dark angel was good because she like brings up that she got the what yeah. the thing from the dwarf i thought the dark angel was going to be like 
what the heck is a dwarf? Like, what are you talking about? Like, that the dwarf was, like, dead all along or something. <laughs> I totally thought yeah, it was that. Yeah, he was, like, that. a vision of Ariel yeah. that she had just gone mad. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I totally thought that's how that was going to play out. Yeah, his full title, Talb's full title, is The Little Mage of the Caves of Downwending, which we learned from the... Pendarlon. Very Tolkienian. Yes, it yeah. is. Um, yeah, and he also has been very lonely and isolated. He hasn't had anyone to hang out with. Um, but yeah, I wish we had learned what the Dark Angel, how he viewed him, because he must have known that this guy was living in his caves. Yeah, yeah for real. Uh, whatever. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, maybe a little un- unfinished thread there. But um, Interesting. I also love how mischievous he is and that at the end he's like, yeah, I'm going to go mess with the, mess with the Lorelei. So. For fun. See you guys later. Just for fun. I'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> and we learned that he is fine in yeah. a little addendum. <laughs> yeah, like I third do Third person enjoy. omniscient narration yeah. inserted at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, should we talk more about that magical velvet pouch? Because I'd really yes. like to. <laughs> uh, so enter pretend food. Talb gives Ariel an incredible gift. Um, one that like Gergi's bag, like Gergi's bag. Yeah. Yes, from the Black Cauldron. Also have an episode on that. Um, we've covered enough books now that we're really starting to have a shorthand for concepts, which is great. Yeah. Uh, I hope that soon I can only talk in terms of fantasy. Books. Honestly, I, I feel no like other language left to me. My mental fantasy worlds are like converging and it's great because more and more I'm just living in a fantasy world and that's where I want to be. Escapism. All the time. Escapism <laughs> is synonymous with 2019. It's just like. That's all I have to say. This is a diversion, but I'll make it quick. I think of, I realize this because I've been playing Lotro, which is Lord of the Rings Online. It's an MMO, um, Lord of the Rings. I've had my account for over 10 years. It's free to play now if you want to check it out. Yeah, you guys used to play like even when I was a teenager. Yeah, yeah. I've had my account for over 10 years. And I know that because I have some uh, pretty exciting items that I only have because it's a heritage account. Um, And I was... I've been playing some actual book quests which follow the fellowship and I realized that I think of the events of Lord of the Rings as like historical events and different uh, media that I've seen that interpret them as just like interpretations of these historical events Um, and uh, that's awesome I'm really into that yeah I can't think of anything yeah (laughs) I would prefer yeah Mm -hmm. um yeah, so before we talk about the bag itself, it brought back a memory from our childhood that when we used to play, we would often say that we had a magical bag mm-hmm. filled with, do we call it everlasting food? Oh, I couldn't yeah. remember the phrase that we would use, Yeah, um, but mm-hmm. it was a shorthand for us when we were just playing pretend, um, when we would be going on quests that we would be like, oh, well, we have to figure out our victuals because, as you can tell, we have a lifelong obsession <laughs> with food. We, we knew that we had to be ready food-wise. Exactly. And we'd be like, oh, oh, my gosh, we can't forget the everlasting food bag. Yeah. Um, and I felt very seen <laughs> back in this <laughs> 
Um, so it is a small, seemingly empty black pouch that Talb creates for Ariel before she goes off on her quest. Because Meredith Ann Pierce also has a an appropriate fixation on the amount of food that one needs to eat to survive. And mm. although this is a hungry book, Ariel is immediately provided with the, all the food she needs from the caves. Mm-hmm. Um, even though she's very hungry, the cave also reminded me of Stardew Valley because it's in the cave that you can either grow mushrooms or have bats bring you fruit, depending on what you prefer. I like the bats because I don't like mushrooms. I... I have already told this to you, but I somehow was clicking too quickly through the prompts and didn't actually choose. Like I, I so just what did you end up with? Mushrooms. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a mushroom cave. And then when I saw on the Stardew Valley subreddit that other people had fruit caves, I was like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, I'm really, the mushroom cave is in my opinion much less fun. Apparently more lucrative, but Anyway, we'll talk about Whatever. this on our um, spinoff podcast, <laughs> Stardew for the Stars. <laughs> Forever. Um, anyway, <laughs> so the bounty of the caves is made present in this bag, and Ariel can pull out of it whatever it is that she needs. Although, I think we also get the idea that Talb did just magically fill it with prepared foods for her, mm-hmm. not that it is like self-producing. Yeah. Because she's always concerned about how much she might have left in the bag yeah. and not wanting to deplete it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do appreciate the different things that come from it. She gets a golden melon at one yeah. point. She gets a boiled um, sh- like shrimp or crawfish or something that she <laughs> gives know. she gives to the Pendarlon. Yeah. <laughs> Some kind of like and then he delicately shellfish. peels it yeah. um, with his claws before eating as a show of courtesy to her because she's given it to him, which yeah. is so cute. I know you don't like um, Aslan, but the Pendarlon. The Pendarlon reminded me of, yeah, bit. definite Aslan vibes, but I also really liked the Pendarlon. And way less preachy. Yeah, Aslan is just so <laughs> smug. You can listen to our episode on the Silver Chair if you'd like to hear more. It's probably <laughs> not a very thoughts. popular opinion. Like, yeah, Aslan, God, that guy pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is annoying. Yeah, I mean, he represents like everything that is irritating yeah, to me like, about the Chronicles of Narnia, which I love very much. But he he kind like of the embodies all preachy, the bad parts. Western religious yeah. stuff. Yeah, white Jesus. Yeah. I'm like, I know everything that's going to happen, but you have to figure it out. <laughs> the Pendarlon is a much cooler lion. Yeah. And he and Ariel fight flank to flank, yeah, side together, by side, which, which is, is really fun. awesome. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, him Aslan to, just like, being like, hide and I'll do my <laughs> exactly, Aslan thing. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah, go behind this dude. Um, anyway, so the magic food bag is absolutely incredible. There is also such a good passage when Ariel first comes into the caves um, when she is super hungry and because she's been waiting for days and days and days for the dark angel to abduct her on the mountaintop um, and she ran out of seed bread or seed cake or whatever it was that she brought up with there days ago. So she comes down in the caves and she's faint with hunger and is like, okay, tall, please stop talking to me. (laughs) Is there anything to eat? And he comes back with his arms just full of foods. Yeah. And we get the passage. 
There were quinces and lemons and pale mauve citrons, pearl nuts and fanworts and pumpkins of gold. There was bitter-gummed saproot and taproot of cane and squat milky mushrooms sweeter than nutmeat and smoother than curd. There were fish, too, dead ones. Ariel was astonished. Because dead things in this world usually disintegrate. Yeah, another weird, it, so like a weird magical weird thing, thing that like dead things just immediately, immediately fall to dust. to dust, except for the cave fish because they're from the earth. He says it's because he cooks them, so he must have to just smoke them, cook them alive. Does he smoke them? Maybe he has a smoker and that keeps things from disintegrating. I mean, where's the book about? Where's Tob's cookbook? <laughs> Clearly, yeah, in the the book that's going to get us sued 50 times that we're working on. <laughs> cookbook. Yeah, our fantasy food cookbook. Although others exist. I mean, but I don't want to have to call things like, I don't know, <laughs> the light demons dwarves cookbook. What? <laughs> the opposite of dark angel. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like the costumes and the knockoffs, like yeah, like red plumber with blue overall yeah. and mustache, exactly. ice princess yeah. with long white braid, uh, yeah, that kind of stuff. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the food in this book is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, five stars. Thank you, Meredith Ann Pierce, for delivering it yeah. upon us. Yeah. Shall we do Badass Lady Meter? I think so. Yeah. There are a lot of women in this book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are also societies that we get peeks at that are matriarchal mm-hmm. or at the very least woman-led. Mm-hmm. Um, What's the name of the woman who leads the desert Yeah, that's exactly uh, people what I was about to look at. That Ariel. There's an amazing passage spoken by Orototo who is the leader of the nomadic desert I like her a lot. that Ariel spends months with um, and who I think kind of gives her the first um, like parental um, sort of guidance and uh, opportunity for growth that mm. she's ever had yeah. um, because we learned that she was a slave when she, like almost before she could walk is when she says that she first goes to uh, live with mm. Eodwin and her family. Yeah. Um, so we, I don't think we ever learn anything about Ariel's life pre-slavery. I don't think so. Um, so it seems like she was probably a um, baby born into slavery yeah. or sold into it from a baby. Yeah. From a babe. Just a bummer. Um, and Orototo uh, teaches her more about the, the true origins of their moon and their gods and yeah the she's trying to different lands are ruled teach her some history yeah and um ariel asks about the pendarlon and orototo says he runs back and forth over the land guarding the borders and looking to the safety of his people um and she explains that all the animals and people and denizens of the desert are his people and ariel says he is your ruler then and orototo says he does not rule us no one can rule us. No one can rule anyone who does not first agree to the ruling. One must rule oneself. Mm-hmm. And then she says that she is not the ruler of her people, but the leader, 
and anyone who follows her is choosing to. Um, and I really liked that glimpse at a different approach yeah. to a, a social structure yeah. um, through a government of sorts. Yeah. Um, and I thought that that was really appealing. And it's so far outside of anything Ariel has ever experienced because she was born into slavery. Yeah. Um, and it was really a breath of fresh air. Yeah, I liked that a lot, too, um, which is why I wanted to do a rototo for my badass lady. Nice. And my rating for her is a stout, strong stick that you can either use to walk as a support, as a tool, and also to whip at a faraway enemy and crack him on the head. Deliver the <laughs> killing blow. Yeah. That's how she, I mean, in a near miss when the jackal almost runs away with the star hoof. Yeah, but she gets him. Um Great choice, great rating. Um, my badass lady, my badass lady is Derna. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> JK, um, murderous sociopath. <laughs> it's hard. So this is something else I wanted to discuss. Is I was kind of curious about other people's receptions of this book after finishing it, especially today, um, in a time where I think it's. Even though it isn't widely available, I think there's probably more of an audience for it now than there was in 1982. Mm. Um, I mean, YA fantasy is definitely, I mean, I would say it at an all-time high right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, and aided by many, many different things that I won't go into. Maybe we can have a, an episode about what we've learned <laughs> uh, once we get to our 75th or our 100th or, some, or something okay. like that. Yeah. Um, but I went on Goodreads for this book and it was kind of fascinating because it was either five star or one star reviews. And the main gripe that people had was, as they put it, the lack of characterization for Ariel um, and for other characters too. Um, and I think something that's special about this book and what we talked about with um, its narrative and its writing um, is that everything does flow in this dreamlike way. And because of that, we're very much in the present. And mm. unless we're being told a tale, we don't really get an in-depth look at like who people are and where they've been. Mm. Um, and with Ariel too, she doesn't really have an identity until she has to like discover it and make it for herself because mm -hmm. she's been a slave yeah. um, and she hasn't really had an opportunity to become a person yet. And then I think she does undergo that in the desert. Yeah. So I totally yeah. disagree Absolutely. with those comments outright. Um, but I just thought it was interesting and it made me think more about how this book is different from yeah. a lot of uh, YA fantasy. No, yeah. <clears throat> it was nominated for an adult award. I, I wonder if this technically... But it is a YA fantasy book. Yeah, one can be both, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's the that's the motto of the podcast yeah. <laughs> is that our our labels that we use ourselves actually mean nothing. <laughs> um so all of this is a build up to say that my baddest lady is Ariel. Um she is resourceful she is strong she always eats on time <laughs> I appreciate which that. i appreciate <laughs> even when there's like a long period of passing you know like they're going through a day month and she's She'll just eat. laying on the pendarlon's back 
She is gazing and grazing, <laughs> gazing and grazing and dozing. That's the aerial way. And she's also as much as possible nonviolent, mm-hmm. um, which yeah. I appreciate. And she is very, she has a lot of responsibilities put on her. Yeah. And it is really sad that as a child who has already been a slave, her when she manages to escape that town that she's living in she is then responsible for 12 wraiths and a bunch of gargoyles and keeping tall company and telling stories to the dark angel and there's one passage that just gives us like all of her current responsibilities laid out and it's just like oh my god yeah exhausting thank goodness you have some cave foods to sustain you she does all the things and she doesn't blink at it and she's very humble and she returns to the site of all this danger and grief and fear. And the wraiths are so stunned that she returned and are like, oh, well, he must have brought you back. And she's like, no, he tried, but he didn't succeed because he's a coward. Mm. Um, And I really appreciate that. Even though we do have the problematic relationship, she's, she also sees him for what, he is because he loses her control over her. Unfortunately, that's also because he's just less hot at that point because he has open wounds well, but on his that's face. That's also that's in that's part of the spell. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's all it's all wrapped up. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Ariel works really hard. She has a good head on her shoulders, and she gets through some pretty yeah pretty difficult obstacles overcomes them all um and is on her way to take down the witch the lake witch yeah so my rating for ariel is a beautiful bridal gown that you don't have to get married to a demon in yeah (laughs) thumbs up Okay, so I think that is going to be it for the Dark Angel. Thank you again, Siobhan, for recommending this. I absolutely adored reading it, yeah, as I mentioned. Yeah, I had a great time. Um, I'm going to try to find the other books. I can probably find, use, find them used on Amazon, I guess, is probably what I'm going to have to do, even though I'm trying not to buy books right now. But sometimes the world demands it. If you would like to request a book... You can contact us on our Instagram, Dragon Babies Podcast, our Twitter, Dragon Babies Pod, or email dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com, or send us a message on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. And we will have our cover up on there, as well as links to some of the other things we've discussed during this episode, because I know you're all ready to read the full Wallflower series. Um, so, <laughs> check yeah, it out. We'll, we'll put the author's name up. So, go check it out. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate you all. And in new Dragon Babies fashion, because I haven't been announcing our next books on social media lately. I'm sorry. I've been really busy. But we do announce them at the end of the very, very end of these episodes. If you've made it this far, you're about to get a taste. And our next episode is going to be Arrows of the Queen by Mercedes Lackey. Oh, I love Mercedes Lackey. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. I'm Grace. And I am Madeline. Until next time, goodbye.